but only uh, apply its strictures to other people and don't see themselves as sinful, don't see themselves as recipients of mercy. The aim of their different doctrine is to promote speculation rather than stewardship of the true faith. Paul tells us, uh, in contrast, that the true aim of the Christian charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And this aim leads one to accept um, the first of those trustworthy sayings that will appear in the pastoral epistle, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Having a sense of oneself being a great sinner who has received great mercy allows us to testify personally to that great mercy that God um, has done for us. Accepting the saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost, we saw last time, also leads to worship. As Paul suddenly, just kind of in the middle of a thought, uh, erupts in praise to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So as Paul uh, kind of summarizes what Christ has, has done for, uh, for us, um, people who are sinners, that we've received such great mercy, he can't help, he can't hold back um, this expression of praise and worship. So today, uh, uh, Paul switches gears a little. Um, he in chapter 2, um, the, the main overall focus is um, on kind of uh, uh, prayer uh, in the church, who we should pray for and how our prayers, when we gather together, how, when we meet together, how they should be regulated. Um, and we'll see that uh, who we ought to pray for reflects the nature of the gospel message and how we are to pray um, reflects um, the gospel message, the created order, the, the entire reality of human existence. So with that as an introduction, uh, let me read for us uh, chapter two, uh, a relatively short chapter. Um, so beginning in verse one. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, 
Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, so a uh, short chapter, but lots uh, in it, lots of things that I imagine, as I imagine these things ahead of time, <laughs> that we can uh, and will talk about. Um, but let's start where Paul starts, um, with this instruction to pray for all people. Uh, first, then, um, with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So what, is, what does this mean? What's Paul getting at? You know, why, why this injunction to be in prayer for all people? My key is usually here. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so notice there the connection between prayer and, and our reality, you know, um, and the, the context in which the gospel goes through. And, that, and then as we think about this, you know, it's not just peaceful um, in the sense that we're at ease <laughs> and we don't have, you know, it's not uh, um, as uh, um, uh, Bishop Muneer said last week, you know, it's, it's not peace in the sense that, we're free from suffering and affliction, but it's the kind of, um, we should be praying for the kind of peace and stability that allows the gospel to go forth. And as we see the kind of second half of this, this paragraph, the focus is on what that message is. Um, you know, this message that's going to be proclaimed. But if there isn't, a, you know, if there isn't peace um, or the ability to, um, to proclaim these things in a certain way, then um, how's the message going to go forth? Good. What else do we say? Um, pray for all people. So with that part of the section, really sort of, you know, um, as you say, he's explaining why we pray for leaders. Um, and again, um, don't think of these as um, leaders who are in favor of Christians. You know, these are pagan Romans and <laughs> Ephesians and, you know, wherever part of the, the Mediterranean world, you know, they're all under the umbrella of Rome, but whatever petty uh, ruler is in that particular era, you're supposed to be praying for that person. Yeah. How they fit together? Okay, so they hand it over to Satan. If we were to look, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm over on this side of the room. But, so if we were to look into, in 1 Corinthians, there's another passage where he describes this kind of handing over to Satan, and it's basically shorthand for excommunication. 
So this is a person who's been excommunicated. Um, but notice it has a purpose. You know, what's the purpose of handing Alexander over? So he learns not to blaspheme. <laughs> so here's someone who's been in the church, but who's been committing blasphemy. So the church has put him out, not to, you know, cast him out, you know, utterly and forever, but to, so that he'll repent. You know, it, there's a purpose to excommunication. It's the purpose of excommunication um, is, one, to help the church maintain the purity of its witness, but the hope is also that by exercising this form of discipline that repentance will come about. So just because you remove the person from the, the sacraments and fellowship of the church, um, in, in one sense, it naturally leads into this. You pray even for Alexander. You know, it's not that, or, or people like him. Um, it's not that exercising discipline um, doesn't you know, mean that we lose all concern for the person. Um, and, you know, with that question, I think that sets up um, something. I don't want to get into it a lot now because it might come up later. But, but this idea um, um, uh, of kind of um, the desire um, uh, to do something um, or, you know, one's desire but then what one has to do out of obedience. So, like, my desire um, or, or we could say, you know, God's desire is that all men are, are saved. He doesn't delight in the punishment of anyone, but he punishes sinners. <laughs> you know, and he's declared that you know, he has saved some and, and committed others to eternal judgment. Um, and it's the way that we can hold both those, that expressed will, but also that decretive will together. In a similar way, the church can excommunicate someone, or Paul here can hand someone over to Satan, um, and it's not that glad I'm done with Alexander and I don't have to deal with that dude anymore. You know, he, he does so with kind of this attitude of, of weeping. This is necessary to protect the church. We have to do this. And it's for Alexander's own good that he, he'll learn how serious blasphemy is, um, whatever. Again, in pastoral epistles, it doesn't go into a lot of details of just what exactly uh, or as much detail as some other um, of the Pauline epistles. But um, so, you know, it's, I don't want to speculate too much what exactly Alexander's doing, but the shorthand of it is he's been kicked out <laughs> for blasphemy, but the hope is he'll learn not to blaspheme. And then Paul, you know, as you said, in this kind of weird way, turns to pray for all people. Um, even those leaders who, and, you know, he's writing this from, from jail, so even those, those people who've cast you into prison, you know, and not just pray for them, you know, notice he uses four different words. <laughs> Supplicate, <laughs> make intercession for, give thanksgiving for. Um, uh, again, something I don't think, you know, you might, I have no problem praying for my leaders. <laughs> Maybe a little difficulty being thankful for them sometimes. <laughs> and so the way he kind of multiplies the words for prayer but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that to sort of think of this connection. You know, just because, you know, in this case, someone's done something wrong and has been excommunicated from the church, you know, he still fits under this umbrella. What else would we say, um, 
you know, just pray for all people. Why this injustice? Yeah, Jay. Yeah, and the way, you know, um, when we kind of like select, like this must be the way, and so, you know, I'll pray for this. Yeah, the way that we don't understand in the fullness of, of God's purpose and time. And, you know, notice how in this paragraph, timeliness is one of those things, you know, that, that God, you know, held back Christ's appearance until the right moment, you know, until this particular moment for the testimony to go forth. Um, and at that moment, uh, Christ is revealed. Um, it's at a moment which makes his um, presence um, particularly available to both Jews and Gentiles. You know, that, you know, earlier, the, the, you know, if Christ had showed up in Israel, you know, 200 years earlier, the gospel would not have been able to go forth with the same speed and to as many nations as it does by being, you know, in imperial Rome, you know, this Rome with, you know, um, with the the Pax Romana, you know, the peace of Rome, um, you know, where the the Mediterranean, you know, they call the Mediterranean, you know, our sea, <laughs> you know, because they they control the entire, you know, uh, you know, this entire central basin connecting Europe, Africa, and, and the Middle East, and, you know, they control it. And because they control it and provide a degree of stability, and again, not that, you know, if, if we're to do our Roman emperor lesson, they're all horrible people. <laughs> like, none of these are, are good men. <laughs> um, but they've created, these bad men have created a situation in which the gospel can spread rapidly throughout um, the world to both Jews and Gentiles. So rather than just Christ appearing and being locked into you know tiny little Jerusalem, you know it's it's the story of the Book of Acts. You know the gospel, you know in Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the church's charge to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it started at this one little place, but it's able to spread rapidly because these horrible men <laughs> are in charge of an incredibly powerful empire um, that creates a degree of, of peace and stability that, you know, um, with all Paul's, you know, difficulties he has traveling, you know, 200 years later, he's dealing with pirates, you know, mercenaries probing the Mediterranean. Most of that is, is swept aside <laughs> at this moment. And so, um, it, and it's this way. Um, here, the people that are imprisoning Paul are also the ones who've created um, a society in which the gospel can go forth. And this is, um, and, you know, as you said, God's plan is, is bigger and more expansive than what we could plan. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and so he's, he's kind of waited for the right moment for the gospel to break forward, this testimony to go forward. And it's able to go forward because of these leaders who themselves, um, I'm trying to remember Tacitus has this great line about the Roman empires, and it's like, you know, rogues, thieves. <laughs> you know? um, uh, he also has my favorite line from Tacitus is, no one knew, no one knew anything, so everyone pontificated. <laughs> um, but, but this, you know, you know these bad rulers um, are, but because they're, they're powerful and have created a degree of stability, you know, their presence can be a good thing. Um, and therefore, we might not like them, but we could pray for them and be thankful even for, you know, the benefits, recognize the benefits that we have um, because of their existence. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And to think about, you know, I was thinking kind of contemporary, like, you know, um, I, I look at the slate of candidates, you know, you know, we don't know who the candidates will be yet, but just the slate that's been poured to me, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, there's something I just like about every single one of these people. And, um, um, yeah, some more than others, but still, they're, they're all kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know, make me cringe in one way or another. And yet, you know, I still have this opportunity to pray for them and supplicate. And especially now, you know, the great thing that we have, we have some voice in this, um, you know, um, and we have the opportunity. But we should also, regardless of who wins or loses, what party we support or oppose, um, we should still be praying in, in general, you know, for, for all of them. Um, that people, you know, and one, you know, I might not like them, but at least they're willing to put themselves forward and, and, and try to lead, which, you know, is more than, you know, you know it's, it's much easier to sit in the peanuts gallery and criticize <laughs> people. Um, and, and one of the things, again, the sort of where this chapter fits, the next chapter is, is going to be focused on qualifications for leaders in the church. So, you know, he's kind of starting with this, this idea of, you know, you know, praying, supplicating, giving thanksgiving, interceding for, you know, your leaders, um, all people, regardless of who they are. Uh, Mike. Yeah, that, and it, in one sense, this, these injunctions to pray come out of that prayer that Paul just uttered a, a, a few verses earlier, where he acknowledges this, um, uh, you know, omnipotent God. Um, and, and, you know, later on, you know, there's this, um, you know, we, we worship one God and one mediator. You know, so he's, he's, he's pointing, yeah, he's pointing our eyes to God. Um, and it's easy for us to get caught up 
and worldly politics, worldly power structures, um, and, and lose sight of the one who is sovereign and the one who is controlling all things and the one who, you know, think back when we studied um, Isaiah, how God tells Isaiah, yeah, the Assyrians are going to come and smack you down for, for what you did, but they're just like a dog on, you know, uh, under my command, <laughs> and I can put them back on the leash, and believe me, once that dog is done inflicting punishment on you, that dog's going to get beat <laughs> for what it just did. Um, and there's that sense that God is at work in doing things beyond what we, with our limited perspective, both in time and space, don't understand. Um, so, you know, our trust should be in God. And therefore, our, our prayers should be um, directed to all people. Um, and the all people is really important here because, again, you know, one of the things that this book emphasizes is this bridge between Jews and Gentiles. So there are those in the church um, at, at Paul's moment that the gospel is for these people. For Jews, um, you know, that's who, and you have to be Jewish to be Christian. And no, <laughs> we, can't, um, we can't sit and, and say, well, this person's a right candidate for, for, to be in the church or of the right people or of the right nation or of the right status. You know, um, the prayer is for all people. Yeah, and it's the way that this, um, again, the way these two parts of God's will are and the way that he uses means. Um, on the prayer aspect, I, I hadn't planned on talking about this today or else I would have gone and, and, and flipped through the book, but um, just to give like further homework, there's a great book um, by um, Doug Kelly called If, if God Already Knows, <laughs> Why Pray? Um, and that's, it's all on that, that question. Um, all right, if God's all-powerful, God's all-knowing, what does he need me for? Um, and it's the way that God has ordained me and has given us a role and, and um, you know, wants us to have his desires, to ask him, your will be done. That's why he teaches us to pray. Um, you know, allows us to participate um, in prayer, and then as Paul goes on, allows us to participate in the spreading of this gospel that he's ordained means. Um, the foolishness of preaching, you know, in one sense, it's kind of silly that, you know, somebody comes up here and, and preaches up to us and we expect something to happen. Uh, God to do something through whatever, you know, Matthew has put together um, for us, you know, but, but that's the means that God ordained. To, to do his will, that just because he's omnipotent doesn't mean he doesn't use instruments, and he's, he's given prayer instrumentality that, you know, it has an effectiveness to it, and he wants us 
to participate. He wants us to ask, um, you know, and, and to know that what, what we ask, again, is from our little limited perspective, but he wants us to trust in the God who's expansive um, and omnipotent, that we know that there's one all-powerful. And again, that drives us to pray. Um, but yeah, Doug Kelly, God already knows why pray. Um, I, I wish I'd looked at it. <laughs> One thinking to myself, but but good. Um, all right. Well, I want to turn um, to um, something a little different. Um, three times in this passage, Paul uses the word "all." Um, we are to pray for all people. God desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of truth. And Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. So what's Paul saying here? Is this some kind of universalism? Some people have pointed to, well, here's Paul's contradicting all that stuff he told us about predestination and elect and all that kind of thing. So in what sense is Paul using this word all? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can't know. Um, you know, we don't know, um, yeah, we don't know who it is <laughs> that, you know, we should be praying for. So we should be praying, therefore we should pray for all. <laughs> um, we don't know, um, you know, we don't know um, all the people who are saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So, you know, we proclaim. Uh, indiscriminately, um, you know, kind of like the parable of the sower. You know, our job is just to cast the seed. What happens after that is God. It's our job just to be um, um, spreaders of the good news. And where that good news takes root and what fruit it bears, that's up to God. You know, we don't know um, the number for whom Christ died, you know, but, but he does. Um, and we proclaim that that ransom is for all, you know, it's the way that um, the offer is, is indiscriminate. <laughs> um, you know, who responds is, is determined by God, but the offer is indiscriminate. Um, good, yes, Andre. Yeah, that's usually the, the phrase that gets used. Um, and here, um, I'm with Calvin on this one, and Calvin's kind of the originator of, even though he didn't say it in exact those words, he's kind of the, the originator of this, you know, God's death, because he's the, you know, the eternal, um, everlasting son of God, his, his death could cover, you know, an infinite <laughs> number of people. So it's not like, you know, there's a limit to how much his blood could actually accomplish, and that's what limits the election. Um, no, <laughs> the limitation isn't on the, the nature of the sacrifice. So the limit, you know, resides elsewhere. Um, but here, um, I think as here, um, as we think, you know, the all is, is kind of, the all people is the same in all, all of us. 
you know, all kinds of people, all types of people, all nations of people, all ranks of people. You know, um, Jew and Gentile are both ransomed by this God, rich and poor. Um, and it's, you know, that's why he's pointing us to there's one God and one mediator. <laughs> there isn't some plan B <laughs> elsewhere or, you know, um, you know, uh, or, or that rich people have some option that they can pay for that I can't afford, you know, um, and that's like my line kind of consistently. Well, even if we had single payer health care, we still we'll, we still wouldn't have an equal health care system because people with money are always going to be able to get better health care than I do, <laughs> you know, because they can you know go somewhere else <laughs> and find somebody who will do you know. Uh, avoid a waiting list or, you know, so the idea that, you know, one plan is, is going to remove an, an inequity between rich and poor is, is ridiculous. But in this case, there, yeah, there is absolutely, you know, there's no way the rich man, you know, has, um, can, can buy his way out. In, in fact, as the Gospels tell us, he, he, he has some more obstacles he's got to get over to get to the position where he sees himself in need of this gospel. But, you know, uh, he, he can't buy his way out in some way. So there's the idea that Christ's ransom is for, for all sorts of people, all types of people. Yeah, and, and again, he's not talking about individuals. You know, he's talking about, you know, as we look at it, it's, it's types of people. Um, and this is, there's one place, um, you know, all translations frustrate me. <laughs> there's one place the ESV trust, uh, yeah, disappoints me a little here. Um, and I think it's simply because they don't want to avoid the, avoid the appearance of being politically correct, but, or politically correct. But in this case, it's the original <laughs> is, is politically correct. Um, you know, it says, uh, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and it's not men, it's people um, in the original. Um, and your little ESV gives you that little note. Um, if you look down, men and man render the same Greek word that's translated people in verses 1 and 4. So just for the sake of consistency, I, I wish they had kept it all the same. I, I, I just don't like when the, the author uses one, chooses to use one word and we choose to render that one word in the same passage multiple ways. Um, if the context doesn't dictate it. But if we read it that way, that this, I think this goes to what you're saying, um, Scott, that it's all, you know, he, it's for all people without distinction. And a person <laughs> came into the world, you know, to, to do this. You know, a, you know, a particular person came in the world to, to de deliver pe all people without distinction. Yeah, Andre. Um, so, 
um, again, I think in this passage, the emphasis is on all kinds of people. I think elsewhere we could read it, um, uh, um, a helpful place to look um, on this, uh, I can't remember where exactly, but R.C. Sproul has a nice little succinct description of this that I'm remembering. But, um, but Calvin um, talks about, you know, there are different sorts, the scriptures talk about different sorts of God's will. There's that hidden decretive will, you know, what God has determined that we don't have access to. There's that prescriptive expressed will, God, what God wants us to do. Um, you know, so God's, um, as, as Teresa said earlier, God's omnipotent, all-powerful. God's determined what's going to happen. And yet at the same time, he's told us what he wants us to do. And sometimes we disobey. And he knew we were going to disobey. And indeed, um, uh, you know, that that's all fits into his plan. But he, he doesn't will sin. You know, he hasn't prescribed us to sin. That's what we've chosen to do. So, you know, so you have that difference between his prescribed will and his decretive will. And then he has what, what we call his expressed will, his desired will, you know. Um, and I'm trying to think of an analogy for this. It's like when two teams that I don't have a rooting interest for are playing each other. And I want, I'm for all of them, <laughs> you know. I want everybody to win. Well, that's not going to but that's still my, that doesn't mean my desire is false, that, you know, I want them all to win, even knowing that I know that one side's ultimately going to lose. And it's the same way that, that you know, um, God has, has um, God knows that these people are, are damned, but that doesn't mean he doesn't, you know, weep or mourn or doesn't desire that they experience love. Um, you know, it doesn't diminish his love for his people, even though, you know, he's predestined them for a different end. No. Yeah, and it's the way... Um, uh, my, my friend uh, Bebo, um, uh, in his colloquial fashion, um, talks about it this way, you know, God, God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. So, you know, our desires and intentions are, are bad and evil, but God brings about good results despite of them. And it's that kind of, of idea that... Um, Yeah, and even though he's passing right, righteous judgment doesn't mean that, you know, <laughs> I get to smack down another one, you know. Um, it's that idea that, um, you know, his desire is expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. You know, that is his expressed desire. Um, you know, um, and what his um, uh, decreed of will is, um, yeah, is is uh, is is expressing something different. But we don't have to put these things in opposition to one another or say God's schizophrenic. But it's just like us again. Like I can really say I don't care who wins this game. I want them all to win, even though in the end, uh, you know, I know that there's got to be one winner and one loser.
Yeah, um, Calvin on this said this way, God wishes that the gospel should be proclaimed to all without exception. Now, the preaching of the gospel gives life, and hence he justly concludes that God invites all equally to partake salvation. So it's, you know, it, the gospel is the means of proclaiming salvation, and therefore that invitation goes out to all, knowing that not all are going to respond, but we don't know who's going to be, who's going to respond or who's not. So it's our job to proclaim indiscriminately. All right, well, I, I know you're going to want to talk about the second half. <laughs> I, I was going to try to avoid it in, in some Weasley fashion, but, you know, you know, get to uh, uh, 10.25. Oh, we're out of time. and I've already said we're doing three next week, so oh well, no. Um, so why the concern, let's start with this. Why the concern about women's dress and speech? What's going on that makes, or what sounds like is going on that makes these matters of concern to the apostle? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, if we look at, um, uh, you know, he's just been saying, pray for all without exception. You know, the rich and powerful, um, you know, that there, there are, you know, the gospel goes forth to uh, without distinction. Of, without dis the gospel is no distinguisher of persons. It you know, could be a summary of what we've just been talking about. And then people come to church, and there's this visible distinction among people, um, you know, that uh, there's a, a fashion show. And let me tell you, I, I've been in churches where <laughs> it's a fashion show. <laughs> like, okay, I, that, you know, that, that person's probably wearing more than I make a month. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and they're, why they're doing it. Um, as, as we think about it, they're doing it for the purpose of this kind of ostentatious, prideful display um, that counters this very humbling message that he's pre been presenting up to this point, that the gospel makes no distinction between people. And yet these people are trying to use outward adornment to distinguish themselves. Go ahead, I, yeah, I tell students when I, I teach a class in material culture sometimes, and, you know, the different purposes of the things and the meanings we attach to things. And sometimes the meaning we attach to, to clothes is um, to display a, a particular status, you know, and to set up this hierarchy of I'm, I'm better than you because I wear X and, and you wear Y, or I shop, you know, on Newberry Street and you shop at, where do I shop? <laughs> I don't even, Walmart. I don't, I don't want to shop at Walmart. Come on, I'm not that low. No, kidding. 
see, but, but we have this kind of ranking of stores, ranking of brands, um, you know, um, and, and we do this kind of thing. Um, and, and what Paul is, is trying to say, he's trying to get us to your attitude that, one, what people wear shouldn't matter. <laughs> we shouldn't judge a person by how they, they look, how they perceive, you know, present themselves, how they want to be perceived outwardly. We judge them by their behaviors. <laughs> the adornments that really matter are the good works that they do. You know, that's the kind of space and time. You know, it, it, we should be thinking about adorning ourselves. We should be adorning ourselves with the work of the kingdom, not adorning ourselves with the, you know, the standards and riches of this world. Um, Scott, and then I'll come back to you. Oh, yeah. One's a verbal display <laughs> of, you know, and again, I've been in places where that person is standing up to pray to show how smart he is or to show how, you know, um, you know yeah, how much more righteous he is than this other person. Um, you know, um, this unfortunately happened a lot in seminary. <laughs> um, it, it drove me nuts. Um, I'm like, can't we just pray? <laughs> why, why do we have to have all this kind of posturing? And um, you know, um, you know, we're all equal before God. Um, and it's so you know the way he's presenting it. It's you have this kind of hierarchy that's being created in the church, and it's happening among men verbally by disputing with one another, by trying to win the argument. Um, and you know, this is something. Um, yeah, this is something I've wrestled with, and Anne Reese wrestles with it, being my offspring. You know, you know, sometimes Christ wants me to make peace, not win the argument. And when I put winning the argument, no, I'm right, and I'm going to show myself right, and I don't care how much I have to beat down this other person until they know I'm right. That's not the gospel. <laughs> you know, the gospel is sometimes, well, I'm, I'm right, but this isn't the appropriate way to go about demonstrating it. I'm creating a stumbling block for my brother or sister in Christ. Um, you know, is this, advancing the, is this advancing the kingdom of God or is this advancing the ego of Pete? Um, and it's that kind of situation among men. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of verbally, and it seems like among women here in this particular situation, it's being done visually. Um, you know, trying to make visual distinctions of, of superiority through, um, through these bodily adornments. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and um, so part of the dress is, is yeah, it's exorbitantly ostentatious. Um, and um, one commentator um, that I use talked about, you know, if you read, um, you know, classical literature and just sort of non-biblical stuff, um, uh, this commentator said, you know, 
The reason for Paul's prohibition of elaborate hairstyles, ornate jewelry, and extremely expensive clothing become clear when one reads in classical literature of the inordinate time, expense, and effort that elaborately braided hair and jewels demanded. Paul's not Paul is advocating not just modesty in dress, but also that more time and energy be spent on spiritual adornment. You know, if the amount of time, you know, it, and expense is consuming, you know, um, your your resources, both you know, resources of time, resources of money. I mean, like there is um, in the ancient um, world, there was this, you know, particular um, dye that was desired, and they had to sail out of the Mediterranean down to the, you know, outside into the Atlantic to get far enough south in Africa to, to acquire it. And this was one of the most expensive commodities um, just to get. So if people see you wearing that color of clothing, you know, <laughs> just by what you're wearing, they know visually what you've spent, you know. And, <laughs> and um, you know, so to get these particular shells, you know, people know, um, you know, um, and, it, and it's that kind of, um, or like, you know, people know just by looking at you, that probably took like two hours <laughs> to get ready for. And it's that kind of um, excessive outside moderation, you know, and it's not saying, again, it's not like you can't look nice on your wedding or on this occasion or that occasion. But it's when this, when the church, you know, is, is rival, is you know, creating this rivalry for the, you know, um, Paris catwalks. <laughs> right, don't oppress. So, and, and it's, and there's an immodesty in that as well. Um, and, and part of what he's getting at is immodest dress, you know, not just ostentatious dress, but dress that's immodest, dress that's inappropriate, um, and it can go either side of the spectrum. All right, so we've got five minutes. I'll extend it for 10. She will be saved through childbearing. What? So what, what on earth is going on here? Um, what, what is Paul trying to get at? with this line, she shall be saved through childbearing. Yeah, who's deceived? Who was deceived? Eve. And I think this is where often our exegesis of this passage goes awry. Because we take that she will be saved through childbearing and apply it to all women when he is using this example of Eve to set the pattern for all women. And there's this great way that in, in a very short form, Bill's, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. He's pointing us to this very brief exposition of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. The woman is deceived by the serpent. This deception takes place. She falls into sin. Rather than following the path of righteousness, she, she, she's taken this kind of, you know, the lead in this sense, that she's deceived and then she leads her husband into sin, which leads to this curse. And what's the curse? 
your desire will be you know, for, it, it can be either translated for or against. Hebrew is a weird language. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but he will rule over you is the curse, you know, upon, uh, you know, part of the curse upon woman. You know, in great pain shall you be, you know, bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He shall rule over you. So, you know, he's giving a description of the fall, the curse, but then the restoration. You know, again, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the, the serpent will strike your heel, but the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. You know, it's through the woman's offspring that brings about this one who destroys the one who tempted in the first place, <laughs> who brought sin and death. So it's the way, yes, the, the woman was deceived and fell into sin and led her husband into sin and, and brought about these curses, but it's through that woman's seed that the curses will be undone, the tempter will be destroyed, and, um, uh, and salvation brought about. Um, and it's using Eve to describe you know, this kind of circular pattern that, you know, she, um, you know, rather than being submissive, you know, and obeying, following the path of, the, of, of um, righteousness, Eve disobeyed, you know, and, and then she led her husband into disobedience. And sometimes we read this, Eve was deceived, and we think that's worse. No, it's Adam's worse, because he went in, she was tricked. Adam went in eyes wide open. <laughs> you know, that's why, you know, the old New England primer said, in Adam's fall, we sin all. You know, it's because, you know, he, he went in and sinned deliberately in a way that, that Eve was deceived. But he's using this as kind of a model of what happens when um, um, submission doesn't take place. Um, and um, so as we see that, you know, it's, it's not he's trying to come up with some new path of salvation for women that's different than men. He's, he's emphasizing that Eve's hope is all of our hope. <laughs> you know, that she is saved through the work of, of you know, of, of the giving birth. That, you know, and through her. And if you, um, I was thinking a lot of my seminary professor, Dr. Kerr, this week. Because, and I, I looked. And um, I've moved my stuff around so much, I can't find it. But we did this, um, it, was, it was one of the greatest classes I've ever had. It was a running translation of the book of Genesis. Or we had to translate it, and then he just gave us running commentary as we you know, went through our translation in class, chapter by chapter. And you know, as you see the book of Genesis, um, in many ways, um, it's the story of these two seeds the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And how often that, that, that promised seed seems like it's going to get snuffed out, you know, by a, um, uh, a, a wife who's barren um, or an old woman who's never had children um, or, you know, uh, all these times it, it looks like because of the difficulties of a woman having a child, that this line is going to come to an end, and then God intervenes, and you know, Rachel gives birth, and, and then you know, the story keeps going. And it, there's a way we could read the Old Testament, you know, this this story of 
time, and it's the way the gospel does it. Uh, it traces Jesus' genealogy, uh, or Luke does. It, it, it goes from, from, from Mary all the way to Eve. <laughs> you know, sort of showing this, this linkage that how is the curse going to be undone? And what happens right after Luke gives us that genealogy? Jesus goes into the wilderness and he gets tempted. <laughs> you know, he's the one who's going to destroy this temple, this seed of the woman. Um, so, yeah, so it's using Eve as this kind of model of what happens when there's not the proper submissiveness, you know, a curse falls. But what's Eve's hope? Eve's hope is the same as all of our hope, you know, in, in this, this seed of a woman, you know, one born of a woman. So, so notice two things. One, notice clearly we have a pronoun switch. You know, we, we went from singular to plural. So we got to find the antecedent to she. So if we keep looking, she, what's the immediate noun that precedes she? As Bill said, the woman who was, who was deceived. Um, and so, you know, and how will she be saved? I mean, again, sort of her salvation, it was future. You know, she's looking ahead. <laughs> She's not saved in her, you know, um, or she doesn't know this Jesus Christ the way we do. But her hope is in looking forward to the cross. You know, it's the way people in the Old Testament are the same, saved by the same means we are. They look forward to a hope unseen. We look back to the hope revealed. So it's, it's, um, it's appropriate to describe it future for, for Eve. And then he switches back to this, this kind of lesson for women as a whole. You know, and it's, again, notice um, it's earlier he says, it's proper for women who profess godliness good, with good works. Um, you know, and then it, it ends, it kind of goes back to that. It's kind of like a parentheses. You know, we've had this example of Eve squashing the middle, um, but that they, I think is going back to there. So, you know, it's giving this, um, you know, if, if you've made this profession, you know, demonstrate that profession in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You know, don't, you know, don't go into these, um, you know, don't be deceived by making these ostentatious visual displays. Exercise self-control, exercise humility. Um, maintain the same faith. Um, so, so for me, I, again, it's the pronouns are, are really, you know, he's going back, you know, that last part of 15 is kind of, you know, ending of this little parenthesis that he's given. At least that's my reading of it. Pronouns. Pay attention to pronouns. Tell students all the time. <laughs> Subject verb agreement, <laughs> pronoun agreement. What's the antecedent? Um, we got to figure these things out. Yeah, and and lots of women can't bear children, 
you know, I, again, I, I think it's problematic when we apply it to all women. You know, how many women would love to be mothers and can't, you know, because of, you know, some physical condition or another. Um, or, you know, so it's not, you know, it, it's elevating motherhood, but it's not doing it in a way that, well, if you, sorry, if you couldn't bear children, you're out. <laughs> no, it's emphasizing, it's taking it back to this gospel, you know, that um, Genesis 3.15, that, you know, he will crush the serpent's head, you know, through childbearing she will be saved, but through the seed of the woman who was deceived that the deceiver is destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not being delivered from, from the pangs of childbearing, um, which I imagine are horrible. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's, um, again, it's this exposition of Genesis 2 and 3. And I think we have to understand, you know, that he's using Genesis 2 and 3 as this kind of model of submissiveness. Um, you know, this, this model of, um, you know, a, a different kind of, um, uh, yeah, a different kind of lifestyle. And Matthew, you know, when he preached on this two weeks ago, you know, emphasized um, uh, the, the flip side. You know, here he's doing with the, Matthew in his passage was dealing with the relationship within a marriage. Here he's doing this kind of relationship of women within the church. And, um, and one thing to note, it, it's not um, all men over all women in the church. As he's going to describe next time, it's some men over all other men and women in the church, because we're about to get who are the proper leaders. So, yes, he's saying that a woman should not preach or exercise authority in the church. And then next time, when we do get into chapter 3, he's going to show the qualities of those few men who do preach and exercise authority in the church. So, you know, and to whom the rest of us have to be submissive. So, you know, to one that submissive, submissiveness is, isn't an exclusively uh, um, for women. It's, you know, the nature of being a Christian. Um, we have to be, learn to be submissive. Um, and in a sense, it, it, it's a bookend to what he was saying earlier about praying for your leaders. Um, being, being thankful for them is one way of, of submitting to them. Um, so he's kind of starting with maybe a broad category of submissiveness and then getting to a more particular um, aspect. Yeah, um, and again, um, I, I like the the way that um, uh, one of my seminary professors used to talk about it. Again, it's not ex establishing this universal hierarchy, or um, uh, or you know, it's not about capability. Um, you know, that's not what it's. It's the question of obedience and um, submissiveness and accepting this order that God's given us. And again, it's it's not a question of all men over all 
all women. It's within the church. There's a hierarchy, and it's the propriety for some people to speak and some people to exercise authority. And in, in one way, he's, he's setting up chapter 3. I don't think we can read the end part of chapter 2 without looking ahead to he's going dis- to he's going to follow by spending a lot of time well who is qualified to speak and exercise authority in this church um, and they're not qualifications that every man um, meets you know it's something all men should aspire to but that not all men you know have these quali- meet these qualifications and, and will exercise them um, all right we we can Maybe do it a little more next week if you want. <laughs> but we are out of time, so let me close with this. Gracious God, we do thank you um, for your church and that you've given us rules to, to guide us. Um, and, and sometimes being the sinners we are, uh, we, we chafe and pull against uh, the reins that you provide us. But help us to see the wisdom of proceeding um, with the, the modesty and, and order that you've provided here. And we do pray for our leaders, um, and we do thank you um, for those um, who govern us, even when we disagree with their decisions or even when we think them personally to be rogue. We thank you for the order that comes from, um, from government, and uh, we don't have to look far in the world to see the chaos and death that um, reigns when there's not order present. Um, and we do thank you for your wise plan and bringing about a future um, for our good um, that we don't uh, know and we couldn't even conceive on our own. Uh, help us to, um, to lift um, our needs and desires to you um, and help us to uh, fall back on you even as we worship you in the coming hour. Fill us with your spirit that, again, in in gratitude for this gospel, um, that we bring uh, worship to the one God through your one mediator, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.